Hello, and welcome to Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we have been interviewing politicians, activists, advocates, and others since 2016 with the intention of ennobling public service, creating a platform for positive civil discourse, and facilitating dialogue with difference. This show is the antidote for those who are tired of hearing about what's going wrong with the world. We showcase people just like you who are working to leave the world better than they found it. And that's good news. And now a word from former President John F. Kennedy with his views on public service. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I'll remind you that this show is made possible by viewers like you. If you appreciate what we're doing here at Public Interest Podcast and enjoy this episode, please contribute $1 at publicinterestpodcast.com. And to express our gratitude, we offer a few freebies to our supporters. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. We're here today with Rebecca Kushmeiter, the co-host of the More Perfect Union podcast, which can be found at moreperfectunionpodcast.com, a blogger at Stay at Home Pundit, which can be found at stayathomepundit.com, and a freelance writer. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Good. Great. You're welcome. I'm, I'm happy to be here. This is fun. Great. So the first question I'd like to pose to you is, what are you currently doing, or what have you ever done to advance the public interest, and why? Well, I am a career nonprofit worker. I started um, in the arts sector and moved into the public health sector. I have over a decade of experience working in nonprofit. And probably the thing I've most done to advance the public interest was my seven years with the American Cancer Society's Cancer Action Network, which is the advocacy arm of the American Cancer Society. We worked on um, all the government-related issues my dog is in the room, yeah. for those listening, uh, in, <laughs> wondering what the jingling noises are. Uh, I apologize for the background noise. Dogs often advance the public interest. Dogs do advance the public interest. Bringing smiles to Yes, they bring, they bring love. Um, but what I did was worked with, I, I was a project manager. I did congressional communications and event planning. Mm-hmm. And we worked on furthering the interests of medical research mm-hmm. at the government level. The NIH isn't allowed to lobby for itself for research funding, so we lobbied for them. We spent a lot of time working on research appropriations, and we were instrumental in crafting a lot of the Affordable Care Act. We spent, you know, from basically the moment Obama was elected until the day he signed the bill, in the room helping to write that and talking about what the healthcare system needed from the perspective of cancer patients and their caregivers. So it sounds like, would it be fair to say that you were a lobbyist? I was, I was a lobbyist who never actually lobbied. I, the, <laughs> the word lobbyist is a big word. I, I, was, I wrote uh, communications. I, you know, I spammed Congress for a living is what I used to tell people. I, yeah. you know, If there was a newsletter, if there was an information packet, if there was an email blast that was going up to the Hill, I was the person pressing send. I was often the person writing the information. I also planned a lot of what we called lobby days, where we would bring in advocates from around the country and have them talk face-to-face with Congress. And that was my favorite thing. Yeah? My favorite thing. Why so? Because these were people who were taking time. These were volunteer advocates who mm. took time out of their lives to train to talk to Congress, to learn the issues, and to go go way out of their comfort zones in a lot of instances. Do you have any fun stories? Um, 
One of my favorite stories was was during uh, the lead up to the Affordable Care Act, and uh, we were looking for families who really demonstrated what was wrong with the insurance system as it existed. And there was a family, and I'll use their names because they, they continue to be in the media, the Wilhites from Ohio. And their daughter, Taylor, had been diagnosed with leukemia as a child. And she had to have a bone marrow transplant and chemotherapy and, and treatments and went into a full remission. But the end of cancer treatment isn't the end of health problems. Your body it, it, it all takes a toll on your body. Taylor needed additional treatment after cancer treatment. Um, but she had reached her lifetime max. Hmm. Her insurance company was ready to cut her off. She was 12 years old. Uh, there was nothing that anyone could do. Her parents managed to get an extension of her coverage and then spent every day wondering, can I take her to the doctor or will this eat too much into what she has left? So we brought them to Capitol Hill mm -hmm. to talk to members of Congress. In what state did they live in? They were from Ohio. Huh. I believe they're still there. Yeah. Um, they were just featured recently in a news article talking about changes to the Affordable Care Act because the idea of the return of lifetime caps terrifies them. Because Has she been helped? What? She, sure, she's been helped. She's you know, she's, she's now, still alive? She's doing well Taylor, now? Yeah, she's in college. She's studying to be a child life professional working huh. with kids in treatment. Um, I think she finally got the surgery she needed for an injury that she got to her hip during um, the bone marrow transplant because that's an injection into the bone. And, you know, the family's doing great, but the idea that some of these protections for consumers mm -hmm. could could be rolled back was, was really quite upsetting to them. So they're doing great now. They're just concerned what could happen in the future. But we brought her to Capitol Hill, and she got to meet Congresswoman DeLauro, who's also a cancer survivor. Hmm. Um, From what state? Connecticut. Okay. Rosa DeLauro. She is an ovarian cancer survivor. And at one point, I, I was standing around the edge of a room, and I looked over, and Taylor was sitting there in her wheelchair. And Congresswoman DeLauro was down on her level. And mm -hmm. the two of them were having the most intense discussion. I don't know what they talked about, mm -hmm. but it was a moment where, you know, it was two people with the same cause and the same life experience connecting in a very real way. And that's always what I like to remember when people talk about lobbying. It's not always a K-Street guy in a suit. Sometimes it's a little girl in a wheelchair telling her life story. So a lot of listeners have a sense of... Uh... Well, American politics today has a, uh, has a recurring theme of draining the swamp, which I think is a theme that goes back, uh, I don't know, a few decades. Uh, it might have been Newt Gingrich's theme in 94. I know Nancy Pelosi spoke something to that effect uh, with the idea that there's some sort of corruption and that lobbyists and special interests are the ones controlling power and that uh, politicians are accountable more to special interests than to their electorate. Having been a lobbyist and, and having brought actual constituent, well, this wasn't a constituent, right? This was a girl from Ohio speaking yeah. to a congresswoman from Connecticut. Yeah. So how would you respond to somebody who just doesn't have a high opinion of Congress or of lobbyists and special interests? Well, I would say go meet a member of Congress mm -hmm. and go meet with somebody who's a volunteer advocate for a particular special interest group that is of interest to you. Corporate, corporate interests, you know, companies lobbying on behalf, behalf of tax policy that protects them, that's, that's one thing and it is what it is. Mm -hmm. And we're never going to get rid of that. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the disease groups that lobby for patients, when you look at 
the historically black colleges and universities that, that lobby um, as a block, interests like that that touch real people's lives every day, go talk to the folks that are doing that and understand what, it's, what it actually is. I mean, we, people talk about lobbyists, and what they're talking about is corporate donations and buying access and all of that stuff. And my, my husband is a lobbyist, uh, and he'll often say that money can buy you access, but it can't buy you a vote. Um, you know, you can get in a room with a congressman, but you can't change how he's going to vote because at the end of the day, it's about the people who are going to elect him. So the special interests are the constituents, and, and they hold more power than they think, and you need to learn how to utilize that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, sure, there's swampy stuff. There's corruption. There are, there are people who are in it for all the wrong reasons, but there is also this world of citizen advocacy that is just amazing to watch when it really works. And if you get up close to it, if you witness it, if you find a way to become a part of it, it will change your view of government because you'll meet the staffers, you'll meet the members of Congress, and you'll understand that there is common cause among all of us. I'd like to speak about that term you just threw out there, citizen advocacy. You have referred to yourself as a liberal loudmouth mom. With the stay-at-home pundit blog, and you uh, are part of the More Perfect Union podcast, and the tagline for that podcast is real debate without the hate. So on the topic of citizen advocacy, uh, could you talk about what you're doing with your blog and with your podcast, how you got involved, and what you're trying to accomplish? Um. My blog started as a mom blog, but it turns out I'm actually more interested in talking about politics than parenting, so I changed. <laughs> and I was invited to join the More Perfect Union just over a year ago. Uh, a friend recommended me to the producer, Kevin Kelton, and he liked my writing and then eventually liked me, and, and I've been doing that on a pretty much weekly basis for the past year. And with both of those things, what I try to bring to the conversation is information and perspective. And I try to speak about things in very plain language and make them understandable. You know, there's so much pundit speak out there and and so much trafficking in outrage when you turn on, on cable news or if you read more partisan websites and they're telling you what to be angry about and what to be afraid of. And I try to get to the basic facts of a lot of matters. And, you know, what does this mean? What is this really? Um, how will it affect you? And what can you do to affect change? And I don't want to make people angry. I don't want to make them afraid. I want to make them a little bit smarter and give them a course of action and what to do next. Hmm. So how? All right. So so stay at home pundit. So you're taught. Could you provide me an example of a recent post that you might have made, and just to kind of ground this in in a in a topic you've been discussing or writing about? Well, I recently wrote a review of the four new diet Coke flavors because I'm not consistent in <laughs> <laughs> politics. Um, you know, I, I, since the start of the Trump administration, I've I've written a lot of posts about uh, the Affordable Care Act and the health policy proposals that have come out of the, the Congress. And one in particular that I talked about was telling your Obamacare stories and, and reminding people of what the consumer protections in Obamacare really were, the, 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 the changes that make insurance more um, 
more complete for consumers and, and, and you know, things like the repeal of, of lifetime caps and, and uh, the pre-existing condition exclusions, all of that. And I, what I was suggesting to folks is that they write to their member of Congress or call their member of Congress and say, hey, I am a person with this pre-existing condition. Before this law, I could not have gotten insurance on the individual market. You've got to protect me from going back to that or to say I have a chronic health condition if there was an annual or lifetime cap on my policy again I would run out of coverage and incur thousands of dollars in out-of-pocket costs every year just to treat this condition that I have so that's the sort of thing I really like to do is to teach advocacy I also try and be funny I'm, I'm sort of a smart ass and I swear a lot so <laughs> I you know I, I try and use humor as well to, to balance the whole situation. I'm wondering how you explain, how one would explain the unpopularity of Obamacare around the country, a platform that, that almost every presidential Republican candidate uh, ran on and that Trump certainly ran on, uh, pledged to repeal Obamacare. In light of the popularity of many elements within the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, there's a sense of confusion around the country where there's a, an infamous bumper sticker that says, get the federal government out of my Medicare. Medicare, of course, yes, being a federal program. program. <laughs> and, there's many, and you'll find individuals who say, well, yeah, I hate Obama and I hate Obamacare around the country. But then they'll say, but I like that my kid can stay on my health insurance plan until 26. I like that I can't be denied coverage because of a pre-existing condition, of course, to hallmark elements of the Affordable Care Act. So how do you explain uh, the unpopularity of the concept or the brand in light of the popularity of certain elements? And what, do you, what sort of strategies do you utilize to kind of better market uh, exactly what that bill is? Yeah, that, the White House messed up the marketing on Obamacare so bad, and Democrats just followed along like ducklings. We talked about it as healthcare reform, and it's not healthcare reform. It's insurance industry reform. Mm -hmm. It doesn't change how doctors practice medicine. It doesn't change how hospitals treat patients. It dealt with the insurance industry. It made changes to the insurance industry that were necessary to protect consumers of insurance products mm -hmm. from. Uh, punitive practices by the insurance industry. And we didn't talk about it as that. And then we like messed up the answers when we were asked direct questions. Well, what, you know, what if, what if I like the plan I have now? What if I like my doctor? And then Obama goes out there, well, if you like your doctor, you can keep it. If you like your plan, you can keep it. Except that he was wrong because the plans were products and the networks changed. And, and that would have been true for any number of reasons. But you know, as, as insurance companies were forced to roll out new products and change their provider networks, yes, there are going to be changes. You might not get to keep your doctor. But we talked about it all wrong. We, we talked about it wrong. And so I keep going back and say, well, yes, there's an individual mandate. And yes, it, it sounds like the government is telling you what to do. But really, they're telling your insurance company what to do. And they're doing it in a way that benefits you more than your insurance company for the first time in history. It was an industry that went unregulated for far too long. These were sweeping regulations. They were not perfect because the bill was gigantic and you're always going to make mistakes in something that big. So the everyman is the winner. The insurance companies yes. are the loser and the everyman thinks that he's the or she is the loser and prefers when the insurance industry is the winner. Well, I don't think they knew the imbalance between themselves and the insurance industry. Mm -hmm. If you are basically a healthy person with employer-provided health insurance, mm -hmm. 
how much do you think about it? Mm-hmm. You know, unless you're putting down your $15 copay at the doctor's office, right. you're not thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Stuff is covered until you, you know, come up against a deductible or a, a non-covered service. And then you become frustrated and you blame your insurance company for that. But you don't see it as a systemic problem. You right. see it as a battle between you and this corporate overlord. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there were so many things that that Obamacare was able to change just by making insurance available to individuals. You know, it gets you out of job lock. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, it increases market liquidity. It, yes. and it, it, When you don't have to rely on your employer right. to, to cover your impending pregnancy, then you can quit to go to another place with less uh, generous health benefits, but a better fit for your career. Right. Uh, and that would create a new opportunity for someone else to fill in your former position. But instead, when you have your current health care mm-hmm. and the benefits are great and the job isn't good, you stay in your bad job because you need the health benefits. Exactly. So, you know, there, there were so many benefits to individuals. And just unless you have studied mm-hmm. the insurance industry in any, in any way, you didn't know how bad it was. You know, the, the word rescission wasn't in the common vocabulary. You didn't, people didn't know that insurance companies were legally allowed to just cut you off. Mm-hmm. They could just cut off your coverage because they felt like it didn't matter if you were good on your payments, didn't matter. You know, they, they could create cause. And can they do that now? They cannot. Yeah. That practice was forbidden under the Affordable Care Act. So uh, transitioning back to your particular career uh, and, our, and your current endeavors, uh, the more perfect union, um, what, why, would, why are you trying to create real debate without the hate? What, what's going on? Is there, is there a hateful debate going on in this is country? There, is there a hateful debate? I don't know. I'm uh, a little confused on that one myself. Um, well, what good is the hate doing us? Uh-huh. Where's it getting us? Yeah. You know, what, 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 what benefit are we getting from turning on MSNBC and they've got a token Republican on insulting the Democratic hosts? <laughs> And they're all yelling at each other, and then you turn on Maddow, and she tells you what to be afraid of and who to who to consider your enemy, you know. And then you do the same on Fox, only it's Tucker Carlson. What good is that? What's Why the point of that? What are you learning? What so, you- so what's your? So I, I know that you. Uh, National Public Radio, NPR, introduced a sound-alike show, a show with a similar title. And that, <laughs> that led to some increased viewership, listenership. Listenership, yeah. But what would you say is so... Why, why should people listen to your podcast? Why do they find that Rachel Maddow or, or Tucker Carlson are so appealing when they inspire this sort of negative feelings in us? Because confirmation bias is like eating french fries. Mm-hmm. It feels good. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It, you know, it, it, it feels good to have your beliefs validated. Mm-hmm. And there's a huge market for that, and cable news and a lot of publications have found a way to capitalize on that. And, but you shouldn't, you shouldn't let that be your only source. And I, I find, and I've talked about this on More Perfect Union, I find myself monitoring my reactions if I'm reading something. And like, well, if I'm sitting there going, hell yeah, yeah, this is great. I know I'm reading something that's just confirming my own biases and it's probably not the thing I most need to be reading because it's not providing me new information. If I'm reading something and going, okay, I've got to look that statistic up. I need to learn more about this. Why is this the case? Then then I'm doing myself some good. And that's what we try to do on The More Perfect Union. Yeah, what's the tone like? What's the tone like? Um, 
intelligent wise ass. <laughs> <laughs> there are four of us, me and three guys. We're all center to leftish uh, in varying degrees. And we all have different backgrounds and different areas of expertise. Mm-hmm. DJ has a background in economics. Greg was has run campaigns. He's a teacher. He knows a lot about education and education policy. Kevin has worked in Hollywood mm-hmm. his whole life as a writer. And I, of course, come from the nonprofit sector with this health policy background. Mm-hmm. And so we, we can all speak to different issues with different levels of expertise. And we're all incredible news junkies we spend most of our week apparently reading stuff and sending each other links like oh my god did you see this um so you know we we try and go into the weeds a little bit and and talk about the details and you know and, and get beyond the headlines and get beyond the outrage and make it about information and and to show that you can have an intelligent discussion with somebody who disagrees with you Mm -hmm. and then at the end of it you can walk away still friends we don't have to build these barriers between each other so as we approach the end of this podcast Rebecca I'd like to ask you to speak to um, your listeners about what you hope uh, your listeners of your podcast and readers of your blog uh, about why it is that you've been engaging in these two activities and what you hope will be the impact of your efforts and uh, having created the blog and contributed to the uh, public more perfect union podcast. Well, I when I when I left full time work to become a stay at home parent, the thing I found myself missing the most is feeling like I was contributing to something larger than myself. I I come from the nonprofit world, and you talk about everything being mission driven. And suddenly my only mission was caring for my home and my family, which is not a bad mission to have, but I also wanted to be engaged with my community and to continue to touch on the things that had been important to me for all of my working life. So that's what the blog was about originally, you know, continuing to talk about the things that mattered to me to an audience of people who were, if not necessarily sympathetic, at least interested enough to listen to me. And the podcast has been an extension of that. Like I say, Kevin Kevin read my blog and then invited me on as a guest and then eventually as a co-host. And I'm I'm trying to be part of the conversation and be part of the, the national dialogue about these really important issues. Because this is a moment where we have to make some decisions about who we are as a society. And they're hard decisions. And we're all having to learn some hard truths about ourselves. And... Uh, the only way to do it is to really hash it out in an adult way, and I like to think the podcast is doing that. And that has been Rebecca Kushmeider, who's contributing to something larger than herself by being a self-described intelligent wise-ass <laughs> and a liberal loudmouth mom <laughs> who facilitates real debate without the hate as a citizen advocate um, who seeks to avoid the oh-so- uh, delicious uh, confirmation bias of reaffirming our own beliefs, uh, and through her expertise on healthcare policy uh, and her uh, knowledge of raising children, uh, she is <laughs> and she, dogs. Let's not dogs. forget my dog. Here. She's able to make the world a better place. Rebecca, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you. This has been another episode of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. I'll remind you to subscribe on publicinterestpodcast.com, iTunes, or your favorite podcast listening platform. And please join the conversation by calling 240-630-0380 or emailing engage at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.